Good afternoon and good afternoon, Father. Father Bill Casey is a native of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and a 1979 graduate of Temple University. And after graduating from college, he served as an officer in the United States Army. And upon leaving the Army, he entered the Congregation of the Fathers of Mercy. He studied philosophy at Christendom College and theology at Holy Apostles Seminary and was ordained to the priesthood in 1991. From 1997 to 2009, Father Casey served as the Superior General of the Congregation of the Fathers of Mercy. Father attributes his call to the priesthood, to the mercy of God, his love for the study of sacred scripture, and his strong devotions to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And Father Casey? All right, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Father of light, from whom all good gifts come, send your spirit into our lives with the power of a mighty wind, and by the flame of your wisdom, open the horizons of our minds, loosen our tongues to sing your praise in words beyond the power of speech. Without your spirit, we can never raise our voices in words of peace, or announce the truth that Jesus is Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Mother of Mercy. St. Joseph. Saints Francisco and Jacinta, St. Dominic, St. Cecilia, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. I'm going to begin uh, with a reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verses 1 through 6 and 17. A great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child and well allowed in pain as she labored to give birth. Then another sign appeared in the sky. It was a huge dragon flaming red with seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven diadems. Its tail swept a third of the stars from the sky and hurled them down to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman about to give birth to devour her child when it should be born. She gave birth to a son. A boy was destined to shepherd all the nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman herself fled into the desert where a place had been prepared for her by God. Then the dragon became angry with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring those who keep God's commandments and bear witness to Jesus. The word of the Lord. I remember being here two years ago, 2015, and at that time I began my talk by making some observations about this year, 2017. And I think they bear repeating and uh, I will stand by what I say. Now, I think we can all agree that we are living in historic times for the church and for the whole world. And I don't think it was by chance that Pope Francis designated last year as the year of mercy in the church. 
He did that because of what is coming this year. Hmm? Now our Pope Emeritus, Pope Benedict, said that 2017 will be a very significant year for the church and for the world. He didn't say exactly what significance he thought it would have, and please don't get me wrong, I don't try to play the prophet, I'm not in the business of trying to predict times and dates and events, but you can't miss this. Think about this. Think about what is coming in the span of just one month, the month of October. In October, we're going to observe the 100th anniversary of our Blessed Mother's final apparition at Fatima and the miracle of the sun. We're going to observe the 100th anniversary of Red October, the start of the communist revolution in Russia, the spread of organized militant atheism all over the world still bearing its rotten fruit to this day. And next month, we're going to observe the, one, the 500th anniversary of the start of the Protestant schism. The Protestant schism which fragmented the Christian world and introduced the hopeless doctrinal division and confusion that remains with us to this day. Now, like the popes, I don't believe all this is coincidence. Now, Pope St. John Paul II used to say, there's no such thing as coincidence in the realm of divine providence. Now, recall also, more than a century ago, on October the 13th, 1884, Pope Leo XIII had a vision, a terrifying vision of Satan, and after that vision, he wrote the great prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. Now, when the devil appeared to Pope Leo, he made a boast. He boasted, 100 years and I'll destroy the church. 100 years and I'll destroy the church. Now, if our Lord had to promise the gates of hell would never destroy his church, you can be sure it was because he knew the gates of hell were going to try. Hmm? But if, if the devil has been given a hundred years to do his worst, the question has always arisen, when did that one hundred years begin? When did this century-long all-out assault on the church actually begin? Well, I don't know, nobody knows. But if I had to guess, I'll give you my opinion for what it's worth. Just my opinion. You can take it or leave it. But I have always believed that 100 years began in October of 1917. And if it did, you can be sure something is coming. Hmm? As it says in the book of Revelation, the devil is raging. He's on a rampage because he knows his time is short. But whatever may come, we know we have got to be ready, and one thing is for sure, we need the mercy of God. Hmm? Now, in 1976, speaking at the Eucharistic Congress in Philadelphia, Pope St. John Paul II, as Cardinal Wojtyla, said these words, quote, We are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has ever experienced. I do not think the wide circle of the American society or the wide circle of the Christian community realize this fully. 
We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church, between the gospel and the anti-gospel, between Christ and the antichrist. This confrontation lies within the plans of divine providence. We must prepare ourselves to suffer great trials before long. With your and my prayers, it is possible to mitigate the coming tribulation, but it is no longer possible to avert it, because only thus can the church be effectively renewed. How many times has the renewal of the church sprung from the shedding of blood? This time, too, it will not be otherwise. We must be strong and prepared and trust in Christ and in his Holy Mother and be very, very assiduous in praying the Holy Rosary. Ben Paul. In October 1967, Pope Paul VI to mark the 50th anniversary of the miracle of the sun, wrote an apostolic letter entitled Signum Monium. Signum Monium is Latin for the great sign. And by doing so, he related in a magisterial document, Revelation chapter 12, with the miracle of the sun. Great miracle where 70,000 people saw the sun appear to spin in the sky and suddenly plunge down toward the earth. The miracle that confirmed Mary's message at Fatima and God's warning to the world to turn away from sin, to turn back, to stop offending God or face the most grave calamities on the earth and in the heavens. Revelation chapter 12 the dragon, the serpent, the devil wages war on Mary's offspring. And, by the way, who are Mary's children? Hmm? Verse 17. Eh? Those who keep God's commandments and give witness to Jesus. So, in Revelation chapter 12, Marian devotion is about as biblical as you can get. Hmm? No denying it. The world has been through 100 years of intense warfare, spiritual warfare and otherwise. Pope St. John Paul II called the messages of Our Lady of Fatima, quote, a summary of the entire 20th century. What I want to do here is to examine and summarize for you the content, gravity, and the enormity of the Fatima messages, some of which Our Lady called secrets, and put them in some perspective for you. And here I'm going to present you with the facts, the warning, the promise, and what our response to the message of Fatima has got to be. Now in May of 1917, with World War I still raging and no end in sight, Pope Benedict XV began a worldwide novena to Our Lady for World Peace. And toward the end of that novena, on the eighth day of that novena, May the 13th, Our Lady appeared for the first time to the three children in the Cova de Iria at Fatima. Ten-year-old Lucia dos Santos and her two cousins, now Saints Francisco and Jacinta Marto. On May the 13th, Our Lady tells the children that they will go to heaven but they will have much to suffer before they get there. Then she requests that they pray the rosary every day for the cause of world peace. 
Then finally, on May the 13th, she tells them to come to the Kova on the 13th day of each month until October. The children come back to the Kova on June the 13th, and Our Lady repeats her request to pray the rosary every day. Second, she requests that Lucia learn to read, something that few children her age among the country folk in Portugal could do at that time. But Lucia was destined to become, as it were, the secretary of the message of Our Lady of Fatima in just the same way that our Lord chose St. Faustina to be, quote, the secretary of the Divine Mercy. Hmm? Now, on June the 13th, Our Lady reveals a crown of thorn around her immaculate heart, which symbolizes her anguish, obviously, over the state of souls and the state of the world. Then comes July the 13th. Now, the July apparitions are the most important and powerful of all the Fatima messages, and they come in three parts. Dire warnings and the promise of her ultimate victory to the world. Hmm? Now, the first part of the July 13th apparitions, the first secret is the vision of hell. Our Lady appears to the children. She opens wide her hands. And here is Lucia's description of what happened next. Quote, the rays of light seemed to penetrate the earth, and we saw, as it were, a sea of fire. Plunged in this fire were demons and souls in human form, like transparent burning embers, all blackened and burnished bronze, floating about in the conflagration, now raised into the air by the flames that issued from within themselves, together with great clouds of smoke, now falling back on every side like sparks in huge fires amid shrieks and groans of pain and despair, which horrified us and made us tremble with fear. The demons could be distinguished by their terrifying and repellent likeness to frightful and unknown animals, black and transparent like burning coals. Terrified, and as if to plead for succor, we looked up at Our Lady, who said to us so kindly and so sadly, you have seen hell where the souls of poor sinners go. To save them, God wishes to establish in the world devotion to my Immaculate Heart. If what I say to you is done, many souls will be saved and there will be peace." End quote. Now, Lucia's description of hell is amazingly similar to the description of hell written by St. Faustina in her diary. Recall that at one point, our Lord had commanded that St. Faustina be transported by her guardian angel into the bowels of hell so she could be a witness to the reality of it. And St. Faustina wrote, it had been revealed to her at that time, the majority of those souls who went to hell were people who did not believe that hell exists. Why the vision of hell? Precisely because hell is real and hell is forever. And because fear of hell can move some people to repentance. I always say to people, if you don't repent, if you don't turn back to God out of love, then do it out of fear. Fear will do as long as you repent. Hmm? Now there's a reality TV show that comes on cable. 
and it's called Scared Straight. And the premise of this program is that they take these teenagers who are constantly in trouble with the law and they show them where they are headed. What is waiting for them if they don't change their ways? So they let these kids spend a weekend in a state prison surrounded by the toughest, the meanest, the ugliest, the most obnoxious inmates they can find. Hmm? These inmates get these kids' faces. Hmm? They rake these kids over the coals, put the fear of God into them, and they take these kids, they lock them up by themselves in a cell for a while. Right? No TV, no internet, no smartphone, nothing. The kids don't know what to do. They're beside themselves. By the end of that weekend, most of those kids are ready to change their lives. Well, the principle here is the same with the vision of hell. Now, the vision of hell was not meant for the children. Remember, Our Lady tells the children they're going to heaven. The vision of hell was meant for the rest of us. The rest of us who need to be convinced of the reality of eternal punishment for those who die in a state of mortal sin, those who die unrepentant. And after the vision of hell, Our Lady asks that the decade prayer be added to the rosary. Oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those most in need of thy mercy. July the 13th, part two, the warning, the second secret. Our Lady foretells the end of World War I, but she tells the children that if people do not repent, turn back to God and do penance for their sins, if they do not heed her call to prayer, especially the rosary, there will come another war far more terrible than World War I in the reign of Pope Pius XI. Our Lady names a future Pope and does it precisely. Now, some people mistakenly believe that World War II began with the German invasion of Poland in 1939. Not so. World War II actually began in Asia. The Japanese invasion of Manchuria in 1937 during the pontificate of Pope Pius XI. Prophecy fulfilled. Hmm? Then there's another warning. Unless people turn back to God, trouble will come to the world from Russia. Russia will spread evil teaching, grave and deadly errors provoking wars and persecutions of the church. Well, just three months later, there comes Red October. The rise of Lenin, the Bolshevik Revolution, revolution driven by atheistic communism, inciting hatred, envy, and class warfare. Our Lady says this, I shall come to ask for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparation the first Saturdays. If my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. If not, she will spread her errors throughout the world causing wars and persecutions of the church. The good will be martyred. The Holy Father will have much to suffer. Various nations will be annihilated. 
At this point, I will ask you to consider Our Lady's use of the word annihilated. Hmm? Think of the actual meaning of that word. According to Webster's Dictionary, annihilation means total destruction, to reduce to nothing, to cause to cease to exist. Recall that during World War II, even in those nations where the heaviest fighting took place, those places that were most heavily bombed, there was not a single country annihilated. Not one. Hmm? So it could well be that Our Lady has tried to prepare us for the worst that is yet to come. Again, knowing that calamities can be mitigated by prayer and repentance. But just as most people no longer believe in the reality of hell, it is also true to say that the vast majority of people do not believe, who do not understand the inherent evil of communism. Now, there was a nationwide survey taken on college campuses across this country, and they asked students about their opinions and their views concerning communism. Their answers were shocking, many of them. Fifty percent of the young people interviewed say that they could see communism as a viable alternative to a democratic form of government. More than 50% said under certain circumstances they would be willing to vote communists into power. This is so alarming because as the great Spanish philosopher George Santayana once said, those who fail to learn the lessons of history are condemned to repeat it. Hmm? But here we are. So what I want to do here is to review and examine the nature and the objectives of communism. Hmm? Karl Marx, the author of communism, once said, where communism begins, atheism begins. Subjective so number one, by means of revolution, set up the totalitarian state in the place of God. Objective number two, the destruction of the Christian faith. Drive God out of the hearts and minds of the people by any means necessary. Number three, destroy or confiscate churches wherever possible. Set up a puppet church, a sham religion in its place like the People's Patriotic Church of China. The result of this has been the killing or imprisonment of tens of thousands of bishops, priests, sisters, and religious who resisted. Objective number four, stamp out Christian education in schools, ban the teaching of God and religion, indoctrinate young people with communist Marxist ideology that is materialist, secular, atheist, utilitarian, and amoral. Fifth, this is key, this is critical. 
introduce fatal errors in regard to the philosophy of man. Primarily the idea that the human person is not made in the image and likeness of God with free will, an immortal soul, and an eternal destiny. But no more, no better than an animal, an instrument, an object that exists primarily for the good of the state, the state which takes the place of God. And when the individual is no longer seen as useful or is seen as an enemy of the state, the individual can be eliminated. Under communism, basic human rights, individual legal rights are routinely crushed. Millions of workers are forced to renounce their Christian faith in order to be given jobs and make a living. Millions of Russian families experience the terror, the dreaded knock on the door in the middle of the night and a visit from the secret police. Family members, loved ones are arrested without just cause, without due process. People who are totally innocent, taken away, many never seen or heard from again, millions executed. And then there were millions of others Millions of anonymous men and women who suffered and died in a brutal, inhuman system of labor camps spread throughout Siberia known as the Gulag. Number six, the attack on the traditional family. Now Karl Marx, his philosophy, saw the traditional family especially parental authority as a source of rivalry and resistance to the absolute power of the state. Under communism, the institution of the family is denigrated, made subservient to the state. Children are taught to betray their parents, hand them over to death when they are overheard criticizing the government or secretly practicing their faith. Now, throughout the old Soviet Union, different parts of Russia. There were statues erected of a 13-year-old boy. His name was Pavlik Morozov. Pavlik Morozov's claim to fame was that he betrayed his father. He informed on his own father. He handed him over to the communist authorities. The father was subsequently executed. After that, Pavlik Morozov was murdered in retaliation by another family member and he became a martyr for the cause of communism. He became, as it were, the patron saint of the Komsomol, communist youth organizations all over the world. Starting in October 1917, communism spreads its horrors throughout the world. It does provoke the so-called wars of liberation and the arms race, the threat of annihilation in the Cold War. The Cold War, which my brothers and sisters make no mistake, is not over by any means. Let me say this to you. Anyone who believes that Russia has been truly, actually, morally, spiritually converted is delusional. Delusional. Don't listen to their words. Watch what they do. Follow their actions. Remember a couple of years ago, the Russians 
invaded and annexed Crimea in Ukraine, one of the first things they did was to arrest and deport a number of Catholic priests and close many Catholic churches. To this day, Russian women have the highest rate of abortion in the world. Right now, the Russians are in the process of modernizing and upgrading their entire nuclear weapons stockpile. They are up to no good. Don't kid yourselves. Still, there is the greatest threat of nuclear proliferation among the communist countries, especially Russia, China, and the likes of North Korea. The way things are going is not going to have a happy ending. We've got to intensify our prayers, especially the Rose. So after 50 years of communism, an estimated 90 million people die. After 50 years of communism in Russia, Eastern Europe, Baltic States, China, North Korea, Vietnam, Cambodia, Cuba, Central Africa, and elsewhere, more Christians are martyred than in all previous years of Christian history combined. It is an age of martyrs. Now, Pope Pius XI condemned communism in his 1937 encyclical letter, Divini Redemptoris. He said this about the ongoing communist revolutions and persecutions around the world. Quote, as far as possible, every church and every monastery has been destroyed. Every vestige of the Christian religion has been eradicated, even though intimately linked with the rarest monuments of art and science. The fury of communism has not confined itself to the indiscriminate slaughter of bishops or thousands of priests or religious of both sexes. It searches out above all those who have been devoting their lives to the working classes and the poor. But the majority of its victims have been laymen of all conditions and classes. Even up to the present moment, masses of them are slain almost daily for no other offense than the fact that they are good Christians, or at least opposed to atheistic communism. And this fearful destruction has been carried out with a hatred and a savage cruelty one could not believe possible in our age. End quote. And finally, July the 13th, 1917, is the third secret revealed to the world by Pope St. John Paul II on May the 13th, 2000. Uh, the third secret came in three parts, what we could call three apocalyptic visions. The first part, the vision of an angel with a flaming sword, obviously a symbol of the punishment about to come upon the world. This is how Sister Lucia described him. Quote, at the left of Our Lady and a little above, we saw an angel with a flaming sword in his left hand flashing. It gave out flames that looked as though they would set the world on fire. Pointing to the earth with his right hand, the angel cried out in a loud voice, Penance! 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 In his commentary on Fatima, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, later, of course, Pope Benedict XVI, said this, the angel with a flaming sword on the left of the Mother of God recalls similar images in the book of Revelation. This represents the threat of judgment which looms over the world. Today, the prospect 
that the world might be reduced to ashes by a sea of fire no longer seems pure fantasy. Man himself, with his inventions, has forged the flaming sword. End quote. The second part of the third secret. To this day, the part get, that gets the most attention and speculation and generates the most controversy. The vision of the Pope and the people of ascending the mountain. Here is Sister Lucia's description taken from the Vatican translation of her handwritten account. Quote, we saw in an immense light that is God, a bishop dressed in white, we had the impression that it was the Holy Father. Other bishops, priests, men and women religious going up a steep mountain, at the top of which there was a big cross. Before reaching there, the Holy Father passed through a big city half in ruins and half trembling with falling step. Afflicted with pain and sorrow, he prayed for the souls of the corpses he met on his way. Having reached the top of the mountain, on his knees at the foot of the big cross, he was killed by a group of soldiers who fired bullets and arrows at him. And in the same way, there died one after another the other bishops, priests, men and women religious, and various lay people of different ranks and positions. End quote. In his theological commentary, Cardinal Ratzinger explained the symbols of the steep mountain in the great city. Now, here, I believe, is the key to understanding the third secret of Fatima. Quote, In the vision, we can recognize the last century as a century of martyrs, a century of suffering and persecution for the church, a century of world wars and the many local wars which fill the last 50 years and have inflicted unprecedented forms of cruelty. In the mirror of this vision, we see passing before us witnesses of the faith decade by decade." End quote. And the third part of the third secret, the vision of the two angels sprinkling the blood of the martyrs. Lucia's words, Beneath the two arms of the cross, there were two angels, each with a crystal aspersorium in his hand, in which they gathered up the blood of the martyrs, and with it sprinkled the souls that were making their way to God. In my opinion, the best commentary ever written on Fatima was written by Pope Benedict XVI, Cardinal Ratzinger at the time, and he describes the third secret of Fatima as the church's via crucis, the church's way of the cross. He wrote this. The church's path is described as a via crucis, as a journey through a time of violence, destruction, and persecution. The history of an entire century can be seen represented in this image. Then he relates the third secret of Fatima to the assassination attempt on Pope St. John Paul II. In the vision, the Pope too is killed along with the martyrs. When, after the attempted assassination on May the 13th, 1981, the Holy Father had the text of the third part of the secret brought to him, was it not inevitable that he should see in it his own fate? He had been very close to death, and he himself explained his survival in the following words. 
It was a mother's hand that guided the bullet's path, and in his throes the Pope halted at the threshold of death. That here a mother's hand had deflected the fateful bullet only shows once more that there is no immutable destiny, that faith and prayer are forces that can influence history, and that in the end, prayer is more powerful than bullets, and faith more powerful than armies. Let me say that again for you. In the end, prayer is more powerful than bullets, and faith is more powerful than armies. Hmm? How about that? Do you remember what was done with a bullet that was taken from the body uh, of Pope John Paul II? The bullet fired by the would-be assassin Mehmet Ali Aja. John Paul had the bullet taken, placed into the crown of the Pilgrim Virgin of Our Lady of Fatima the International Pilgrim Virgin Statue, where it remains to this day. Hmm? Uh, at the end of the July 13th apparition, the children ask Our Lady to tell them who she is. And Our Lady identifies herself. She says, I am the Lady of the Rosary. Our Lady told the children of the Rosary's power to bring about world peace, the conversion of sinners, the triumph of her immaculate heart. Now remember that Mary's heart is an immaculate heart and it is also a sorrowful heart precisely because it is a mother's heart. I'm a father of mercy and uh, the fathers of mercy give more parish missions than any other religious order in the country but I can tell you that everywhere that we go these days we meet the mothers and the grandmothers who agonize endlessly over what is happening to their own families. They agonize over the fact that sons and daughters, kids and grandkids have left the church and abandoned the practice of the faith and are often living terribly, terribly immoral lives. They suffer the wounds of divorce family breakup and all the emotional and psychological devastation that goes with that. The wounds inflicted on their families by, by things like addiction. Are you aware of the fact that in the last three years, 80,000, more than 80,000 Americans, mostly young Americans, have died of opioid-related drug overdoses. There are a lot of mothers in mourning out there, more than you can imagine. Hmm? They mourn the ruin of their marriages and their families, the suffering and the trials of their own children. Imagine for a moment, if you will, Our Lady's sorrow, because from her place in heaven she sees it all. She is the prophetess of our time precisely because she has never ceased to be our most loving mother. And when a mother rushes to her children, it is because she knows they are in danger. The world is in danger. Souls are in danger. Families are in danger. Marriages are in danger. The church is in danger. 
St. John Vianney, Curie of R, patron saint of priests, used to say, quote, Our Blessed Mother will never rest until after the last judgment. Between now and then, she is far too busy with her children. End quote. Now, on August the 13th, the children are not able to make their rendezvous with Our Lady because they are hijacked, as it were, by the government administrator who takes them to the provincial seat where they are severely interrogated and even threatened, threatened with death. They are told if they do not reveal everything told to them by the woman at Fatima, if they do not recant their testimony, they will literally be boiled in oil. The children do not recant, even in the face of death. So they are thrown into prison for a day, they're released the next day, only because the administrator fears that an angry mob is going to gather outside of the courthouse. Hmm? September the 13th. The children meet with Our Lady again, and this time they present to Our Lady the prayers and petitions of the people of Fatima and the pilgrims who have come there from all over Portugal. And again, our Lady repeats her request to pray the Holy Rosary every day. October the 13th. The children have made it known before October the 13th that on that date, Our Lady will provide a great sign, a miracle to confirm the truth of the messages she has presented to them. And because of this, throngs of people from all over the countryside descend on Fatima. And with them, an army of reporters, secular reporters, who have come there to report not on a miracle, not on a sign from heaven, but on a fiasco. They're going to report on how these foolish, stupid, ignorant, superstitious Catholics have let themselves be deceived and led astray by three silly, lying children. That's what they want to report. October the 13th at Fatima is an awful day, weather-wise. There's been torrential rain all day long. Ground is saturated. The tens of thousands of pilgrims who have come there, many of them are already soaking wet. People are beginning to wonder if anything could happen there, but suddenly the rain stops, the sky opens, the clouds separate and there is seen the vision, the miracle of the sun which appears to spin in the sky and suddenly plunge down toward the earth. People are terrified. Many people think it's the end of the world. But suddenly, the sun halts its forward movement and returns to a place in the sky. People find their clothing, their soaked clothing is suddenly dry. The ground is dry at their feet. People have been able to look directly at the sun with no damage to their eyes. Then the word goes out. The miracle witnessed by 
50,000 people there at Fatima and another 20,000 in the surrounding area. The news media reports it correctly. Miracle of the Sun, the Senium Monument. Now, on December the 10th, 1925, Our Lady returns to Sister Lucia, who has by this time entered the convent of the Dorothean sisters at Pontevedra, Spain. As Our Lady had foretold, Francisco and Jacinta died soon after the apparitions. Both of them die in the worldwide swine flu epidemic between 1918 and 1920. Uh, Francisco dies on April the 4th, 1919. Jacinta dies February the 20th, 1920. Our Lady comes to Lucia requesting the communion of reparation. And Our Lady shows Sister Lucia a vision of her immaculate heart, and she says this. Look, my daughter at my heart, surrounded with thorns, with which ungrateful men pierce me at every moment by their blasphemies and ingratitude. You at least try to console me and say that I promise to assist at the hour of death with the graces necessary for salvation, all those who, on the first Saturday of five consecutive months, shall confess their sins, receive Holy Communion, recite five decades of the Rosary, and keep me company for 15 minutes while meditating on the 15 mysteries of the Rosary, with the intention of making reparation to me." End quote. Let me speak a little bit about the five first Saturdays devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Um, there are many devout Catholics, I find, that even by this time have never made the first five Saturdays devotion. And many Catholics think that it's just too complicated for them. They can't remember what it involves. It's like, oh, you know, there's a laundry list that I got to remember to be able to do this. And uh, I can't remember it all, so I'm, I'm just going to forget about it. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. Everybody has got to be on board with this right now. There is no time to lose. Time is not on our side in all this. Let me go over with you what Our Lady outlined exactly as what is involved in observing the first Saturday's devotion. Um, now, the five first Saturdays, there are four main parts, four main elements, and two conditions. The four main parts are the following. First, to go to confession either on the first Saturday itself, or at least one week before, or one week after the first Saturday itself. Second, to receive Holy Communion on the first Saturday itself. Third, Pray five decades of the rosary on the first Saturday itself. And fourth, to keep Our Lady company for at least 15 minutes while meditating on the mysteries of the rosary, following the praying of the rosary on the first Saturday itself. The two conditions necessary for the devotion are first, that the practices be done on the first Saturday of five consecutive months. The key word here is consecutives. The second condition is that it be done with the intention, key word, the intention of making reparation to Our Lady for the sins of blasphemy and ingratitude against her and against her Immaculate Heart. Well, let's go back for a moment 
to the July 13th apparition when Our Lady said this. If what I say to you is done, many souls will be saved and there will be peace. If not, know that God is about to punish the world for its crimes by means of war, famine, and persecutions of the Church and of the Holy Father. So, here are the conditions for the conversion of sinners, world peace, and the triumph of Mary's Immaculate Heart. First, pray the Rosary. Our Lady says it on the 13th of every month. She says it over and over again. Pray the Rosary. Tell everyone around you to pray the Rosary. Second, the communion of reparation of the five first Saturdays. And third, the consecration of Russia to Mary's Immaculate Heart by the Pope in union with all the bishops of the world. June 1929, Our Lady returns to Sister Lucia, tells her the time has come for the Holy Father to consecrate Russia to her Immaculate Heart. After an inexplicable 55-year delay, the consecration is finally made by Pope St. John Paul II on March the 25th, 1984. People ask me, why was it that there was a 55-year delay in heeding Our Lady's request? <laughs> you know what? The only honest answer I can give you is, I don't know. Nobody knows. The world doesn't know, but one thing we do know is the consecration was definitively made. Uh, now, there's a lot of controversy to this day over whether or not uh, the consecration of Russia to Mary's Immaculate Heart was actually made or made in the way that Our Lady specified it. Um, Sister Lucia was adamant about this. She confirmed that the act of consecration of Russia to Mary's Immaculate Heart made by Pope St. John Paul II, has been accepted by Our Lady. Who better than Lucia would be in a position to know that? Hmm? Now there's a story that comes to my mind about this subject, and, uh, and what I'm going to tell you here, it's, it's not hearsay. I'm not getting this secondhand. I heard this directly from the man involved, right, who is now a priest. But uh, he was telling the story of a group of American seminarians back in the mid-90s were being received by St. John Paul II in a papal audience. And uh, St. John Paul II was walking down the rope line greeting the seminarians one seminarian called out to him, Holy Father, when are you going to consecrate Russia to Mary's Immaculate Heart? Pope John Paul is moving very quickly along. He hears this and he stops and he turns around. He walks back toward that seminarian and he says, How many times do you want me to do it? How many times do you want me to do it? Russia is consecrated, he says. Russia is consecrated. So, there you have it. Right? Don't doubt it. You know, 
Any serious student of church history will be quick to tell you that the normative state of the church is turmoil, conflict, struggle. The church, the bride of Christ, will always follow her divine spouse along the way of the cross. And this is how God gives his faithful people the opportunity to practice heroic virtue, the virtues of the saints. So another thing you should understand. The Catechism of the Catholic Church is a section under eschatology. Now, eschatology is a theological term for the latter days and the last things. Um, the Catechism says that many Catholics mistakenly believe, mistakenly believe that in the latter days, the days before our Lord's second coming, that the church is going to gain a gradual domination, a gradual ascendancy over evil in the world. Not so, says the Catechism. In fact, exactly the opposite is true. The Catechism teaches that in the last days, the church is destined to suffer in a mystical way all that our Lord suffered at the time of his passion. That is to say, Christ in his mystical body will be abandoned, betrayed, denied, scourged, mocked, and crucified. In other words, it will be a persecuted church. The faithful will be called to stand at the foot of the cross with Mary, the mother of mercy, the mother of sorrows, Our Lady of the Rosary, and persevere until the end. You know, friends, we're living in a dangerous and uncertain world. Look at the chaos in the world all around us today. Hmm? We see the rise of international terrorism, the rise of militant Islamic fundamentalism, the proliferation of nuclear weapons now in the hands of the likes of North Korea, Pakistan. We see the continued spread of militant atheism as there is now a new and aggressive form of militant atheism spreading like wildfire across college campuses all over this country, taking in more and more of our young people every day, all the time. We see the spiritual confusion, the moral chaos. We see the spiritual battle all around us. I'll tell you what, the spiritual battle of our time is very quickly becoming the spiritual massacre of our time. If you study church history, you will see that some of Christianity's most decisive battles, battles like Lepanto, Malta, Vienna, La Rochelle, were fought and won not simply with a sword, with the blood and sacrifices of Christian soldiers and sailors, but especially with the Holy Rosary. Again, recall, there is only one thing Our Lady repeated on the 13th of every month, every time she appeared to the children, pray the Holy Rosary again and again. In his great apostolic letter, Rosarian Virginis Mariae, Pope John Paul II said this, the church has always attributed special efficacy to this prayer and trusting to the rosary the most difficult problems at times when Christianity itself seemed under threat. Its deliverance was attributed to the power of this prayer and Our Lady of the Rosary was acclaimed as the one whose intercession brought salvation. 
Why should we not once more have recourse to the rosary with the same faith as those who have gone before us? The rosary retains all of its power. Therefore, I look to all of you, brothers and sisters of every state of life, to you, Christian families, to you, the sick and the elderly, and to you, young people, confidently take up the rosary once again. Today, I entrust to the power of this prayer the cause of world peace and the cause of the family. May this appeal of mine not go unheard. End quote. For years, I've been traveling all over this country talking about the spiritual battle of our time. Hmm? And you know what? If you're in war, if you're going to win in battle, you've got to have the right kind of weapons. Now, this may sound strange to you. I'm a priest, but I own an assault weapon. That's right. And I don't need a permit to carry. I've got right here a high capacity magazine and a 50 round clip. <laughs> here it is. Weapon to assault the gates of hell. The invincible weapon that comes to us directly from heaven through the hands of our Blessed Mother. The rosary is more than just a devotion. It is a spiritual weapon, an invincible weapon. Padre Pio used to call the rosary his weapon, the shield against Satan. My brothers and sisters, do you understand that at every moment we have access to one of the most powerful weapons on earth, prayed by an army of holy souls, hidden souls, humble souls, unknown souls, the souls that God raises up as he casts down the proud. History has proven time and time again that the rosary defeats tyrants. It crushes heresies. It brings back sinners. It turns back invasions. It knocks down Berlin walls. It keeps families together. It brings joy to the heart, consolation to the soul. Ask yourself, what does the Heavenly Father refuse the Virgin Mother of His only begotten Son? Nothing. No. Now the Rosary does not appeal to the proud. It never will. Vain intellectuals reject it. Unbelievers scoff at it. Modernists hate it. <laughs> so what? What do we care? The Rosary is the prayer of the most humble of all of God's children, and that should surprise no one. The Italian Archbishop Carlo Caffara, Cardinal Carlo Caffara, who was a friend and confidant of Pope St. John Paul II, said recently that shortly before her death, he had written a personal letter to Sister Lucia asking for clarification about certain things that Our Lady had revealed at Fatima. And he said that actually he wasn't expecting a reply. Sister Lucia was sick and she was in her last days at that time. But his great surprise, he got a letter back, a personal letter back from Sister Lucia. And Sister Lucia wrote this. She wrote that Our Lady had indicated that the last battle 
Hell's final assault on the church and on humanity will be the attack on marriage and the family. Does anyone doubt it's happening all around us today? Hmm? Today, Our Lady is calling on us to become a great force of prayer and reparation in the world. And by the grace of God, she has given us the weapon to fight with in the spiritual battle of our time, the Holy Rosary. We have the rosary as an instrument of God's mercy. The rosary is the weapon we will use to bring about the conversion of sinners, world peace, peace in our homes, peace in our families, and peace in our own souls. The rosary is a lifeline that God is holding out to his people today. In one of the last interviews that she granted, Sister Lucia said this, quote, the most holy virgin in these last times in which we live has given a new efficacy to the recitation of the holy rosary to such an extent where there is no problem no matter how difficult it is in the personal life of each one of us or of our families or even of peoples and of nations that cannot be solved with the rosary for the holy rosary we will save ourselves we will console our lord and obtain the salvation of many souls. And so my brothers and sisters, we pray again today. For Mary, conceive without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. God bless you.